With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Get a quote at AAA.com slash insurance and save by bundling auto and home. This would be the first spring training ever where, like, we don't mind if people get hurt in spring training. <laughs> Just a little bit hurt. Not, like, super hurt. I'm trying to think of some of the pitchers that were a little thicker last year. <laughs> what magic uh, you were going to go with? <laughs> yeah. Where does one start interpolating, Josh? I don't even know. Like, I, don't even, I can't even try to start making sense of this. And welcome to episode number 165 of Artificial Turf Wars, where our habit of stealing taglines from Twitter knows no bounds. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined today by Joshua Housem. Josh, how's it going? Not too bad. And the always willing to pinch hit Nick Dyka. Nick, how's it going? <laughs> hey, Greg, I'm doing good. Welcome it's back. More like to the a show. rover than a pinch hitter. He's not really replacing anybody. <laughs> he just shows up. It's like, are you allowed to stand there? Yes, we gave him a microphone and everything. <laughs> the DH when we moved to the AL parks. <laughs> so uh, we have a, a little bit of Blue Jays news. We have the signing of uh, Rafael Dolis um, for real money uh, on a real roster spot, and we're going to talk about the impact that has on the roster because the Blue Jays haven't actually made the move they need to make yet. Um, in general, probably there's going to be more roster crunch as we go forward. And I know you two love going back and forth about that. So we're going to let you. Uh, there's been a minor <laughs> league signing of Joe Panic, uh, The Brock Holt rumor. I don't know if it's back. It just never went away. Uh, then a bunch of the prospect sites over the last uh, little while have released their top 100 list. And it's always curious. After having that number one guy for so long, number two on Keith Law's list, uh, now we don't. So what what do the Blue Jays have to offer? Uh, we have your questions because I like answering them, and so does Josh. And I don't know if Nick does. Do you like answering questions, Nick? Uh, it depends on how difficult they are to answer. <laughs> if there's no math. Yeah. Uh, and then we have a do-over for Dick Montfort, and we'll explain who he is uh, after when we have the duo. So we shall begin with a signing of... I, I don't know, I guess bullpen depth, is that fair, Josh? Or is it a bullpen piece? I think he's a bullpen piece. I mean, he got a major league deal. Right. So the plan is for him to be in the major league bullpen. So unlike a lot of these other guys who we're going to get to in a minute. But, you know, and he, so Rafael Dolis, he pitched in the bigs for the Cubs, you know, back in 2013, essentially. Then he went to the Mexican League and then, he went to Japan, and for the last four seasons in Japan, he's been a closer over there for the Hanshin Tigers, and he's been excellent. His ERA is about two and a half. He's averaging a little over a strikeout per inning, under three walks per inning, and he's keeping the ball in the park. So, you know, it's it's 
the kind of thing that tends to work out okay. I mean, if you look back at the track record of these relievers coming back from Japan, at least in their first season back, they tend to do pretty well. And now my understanding is he does throw hard, which is always uh, something that you're, you know, you're looking for if you can get it. And the Blue Jays have not been able to get it in the bullpen other than Ken Giles for the last little while. So I, I guess that's also a point in his favor. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we haven't seen his velocity readings from Japan, but when he was back, you know, when last pitch in the bigs, he was throwing 97, 98 miles an hour. So it's pretty good. <laughs> so where do we think he slots in, Nick? Um, I mean, there aren't a lot of established pitchers in the Blue Jays bullpen right now. And I think this is going to kind of tie into a roster conversation we're going to have in a bit. Uh, but, you know, right now behind Ken Giles, I think everything's kind of still undetermined. Uh, you know, Dolis hasn't pitched in the major leagues in a long time. So I'm, I don't know, I'd say maybe I'm slightly less confident than Josh is that he's going to be able to come over and be like a, an effective back of the bullpen option. Uh, not that it's impossible either, but I think it's kind of up in the air. Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, there's no bona fide setup, man, that I can see on the Jays' current roster. Well, let's be clear. I wasn't confident he's going to come here and be a back of the <laughs> bullpen guy. <laughs> so yeah. Can, like it's worked out major... okay in the past. No, just like a useful yeah. major league reliever, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Sixth inning type guy. Maybe could be that back of the bullpen if everything breaks right, but I'm not expecting that off the top. Yeah. Well, in terms of effective major league relievers i i don't know if now is the right time to bring this up but there are still a bunch of good major league relievers on the market and i know i was talking to you guys offline about this a little bit it's kind of surprising to me that the jays haven't been in on some of the relievers i know we saw pedro strope sign last week for not you know exorbitant money by any stretch of the imagination um it feels like the jays at least should be in on a bunch of these guys at least in my opinion Greg? Well, the the roster is uh, sitting at 40 men right now. So we, we already have no move for Raphael um, himself because he hasn't been officially added to the roster, I would assume. Um, so I think the problem is is each time you sign a guy who wants major league money or a major league deal, to, more, more precisely, you got to get rid of somebody. And do the Jays have a lot of people that they're ready to drop? I, I don't know if they're sure of that yet. So they've kind of left themselves in a bit of a pinch, haven't they? Yeah, and so this is this roster conversation that I was wanting to have and that Nick was alluding to a minute ago. Because I do agree that there seem some guys out there that would be pretty good for the Jays to go after. I mean, like you said, we talked about this offline, but like Colin McHugh, Rodas Vizcaino, Anthony Swarzak, You'd mentioned Pat Nishek, whose health I'm not sure about, and Andrew Kashner, but all of them would be potentially useful relievers. But the problem is when you go down this 40-man roster, there's just not a lot of guys that are obvious cuts. I mean, you know, this is kind of the problem with this extreme depth the Jays have built. As Greg mentioned, like, they haven't made the move for Dolis yet, and the expectation is probably going to be one of maybe Bravik Bellera, Anthony Alford, or Jonathan Davis. But after that, if you get, if you say they go through those three guys, I don't know where the next 40 man spot comes from. Cause like if you look down their roster, I'm not going to read out the whole thing right now because, you know, <laughs> this podcast doesn't have to go that long. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the people, you know, people like to say, well, Julian Merriweather, well, that's not going to happen, right? They're not going to cut Merriweather, a guy who throws 100 miles an hour who hasn't had a chance to do anything yet, who they traded for Josh Donaldson. 
and you know you get guys like Wagus back and you know he's been solid Romano he he has the potential to be a leading reliever like all of these guys they're young and they have had at least some level of showing something in the big league so they're not going to get cut well, here's a here's a couple names to to think on are Pannone and Gavilio on the 40 man yeah and I would be shocked if they cut either one of those guys really yeah you you would you say that they wouldn't be cuttable even if they did sign someone like Vizcaino or Swarzak, someone who's like an established back of the rotation or sorry, back of the bullpen pitcher right, in the last couple of years. If you're asking me whether I would do it, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I would. But just given what, especially you know what you, what um, what Gabilio has given the team over the last couple of years, I don't think they'd be in much of a rush to drop him. And you know, Pannone has been a lot better when he's been pitching out of the bullpen than when he's been pitching as a starter because he's just not a starting pitcher. And I think that that's become somewhat obvious. You know, his ERA last year was, I think it was over six, six, one, six is what it looks like to me. You know, that's, that's pretty bad, obviously, but you know, that was as a starter, as a reliever, yeah. it was three fifty four. Right. But, I, I guess I, I do agree with what you were saying earlier when this is just like this is kind of a, a a depth problem where they have all these players that aren't necessarily good enough to be you know, kind of like elite relievers or their their bullpen won't stack up against you know other bullpens in like the AL East or or any with really any competitive team but they're not you know bad enough that you feel okay about cutting them it kind of does put the Jays in like a tough position. And, you know, I guess, yeah, as, from a, a fan's perspective, you just want to be like, go get the better player. And, you know, if Thomas Pannone puts up a three, seven, five ERA throwing slop out of the Mariners bullpen for the next three years, what are you going to do about it? Kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, that's what we were saying earlier about Derek Fisher and Teoscar Hernandez and all those guys. Yeah. Like, if they figure it out somewhere else, great, but, you know, but we'd rather get better players. So, and, and but just yeah. to take this a, a bit further, like Greg, just so Greg can weigh in for a sec here, because we feel like we're talking. I feel like we're talking over you a little bit. It's okay. I'm just a traffic cop here. <laughs> but like, if you were going to say like you're handicapping, who's the five man rotation? Uh, Hyunjin Ryu, uh, Shoemaker. Uh, you're putting me on the spot. I'm blind. Tanner Rourke and Chase Anderson are the top four. Yeah. Who's your five? I have no idea. But and here's the thing: like it could be Baraki, it could be Trent Thornton, it could be Yishun Yamaguchi. The, the problem is, I think for all of those names, you can remember some some very promising moments and some real stinkers. <laughs> yeah, and well, I except for Yamaguchi, obviously. Well, but... yeah, which you can't remember anything about. Um, but I think Yamaguchi is is you know a total x factor until you actually see him in spring training as a fan i mean obviously the team knows more than we do but um i i wouldn't put him i wouldn't put him as a fifth starter right now because i don't know anything about him to be honest um but yeah but thinking of you know baraki and thornton I, i've i've sat there and watched them and gone man this guy's got it all together tonight and i've also gone this guy's obviously hurt with Baraki, or this guy he doesn't know where it's going and he's he's just getting lit up um now that's the fifth starter, so. But this is sort of. I wasn't more about. I wasn't really trying to get at the quality of the position. Yeah. It was more. But they're all like, the same in in the sense that there's there's nobody jumping out, right? 
There's, there's right, no, nobody's but, ahead of anybody else. But say Shun Yamaguchi gets the spot, right? Which the argument for him is that it's a lot easier to see if he can give it to you as a starter like he was doing in Japan, and then if not, move him to the pen than to do it the other way around. Right. Uh, you know, especially in season, it's hard to do that. So say that's the five. What do you do with Baraki? What do you do with Thornton? What do you do with Sean Reed Foley, with Jacob Waggis back, you know, with, with, with this group of players that all have to fill in at double A and triple A? There's just too many pitchers and too many players, too many outfielders on this roster to allow for easy movement, which I think is kind of a problem and really should lead to a trade or two, but hasn't to this point. And you know what? This brings up the question, too. Why did you sign Tanner Roark? Because I think if we look back at the end of the 20... 20- <laughs> At the end of the 2020 season, our guys like Barucky and Anthony Kay um, yeah, and Trent Thornton, are they really going to put up worse numbers? I mean, their numbers look fairly comparable last year, and that's not accounting for the fact that um, Roark was in the National League. Uh, yeah, it, it, I, I'd be very curious to know kind of the thinking behind, behind ha- having Roark sign here um, and why the front office was kind of targeting him given this kind of problem that's been created by too many, too many players for too few positions. Yeah. I mean, this is sort of what we were saying and why I kept railing against the Roark signing when it didn't want to happen and why I didn't want it to happen. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously having too many pitchers is theoretically never a problem, but it becomes something of a problem when you don't have enough spots in the minors for them. Even, I mean, just like if you, I'm not going to go down the depth chart again because there's too many of them, but I think it's there's about 15 or 16 people that need to be in double A AA or triple A that are starting pitchers. That's a bit too many. <laughs> so I, I'm not really sure what they're going to do. I mean, you could put theoretically Trent Thornton in the Toronto bullpen, which, you know, I, he looked like he could that could be a role he could do well with his fastball breaking ball combo. But he wasn't horrible as a starter and, you know, as a rookie. So it's like, do you want to give up on him as a starter? It's very tough. And similar to what, I think Ross Atkins was saying about the young outfielders like Fisher and Teoscar. I think that's true of these young pitchers too, whether it's Thornton or Baraki. It's not impossible for one of these guys to unlock something and take a step forward either. And that's harder to do when they're pitching in AAA or pitching in, you know, the bullpen at the majors. Yep. But you've also got the the thing you haven't talked about, which is the guys who you want to get to the majors developing properly in terms of like Nate Pearson. <laughs> That's right. You, yeah. So like, how, how he's do you, one of the yeah, you can't, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't have a guy blocking someone who, who needs to be tested at double A AA or triple A um, if he's, you know, suddenly had that breakout. And like you said, with like 15 guys, you, you've got three rotations worth of, of people. It'll all be fine, yes. I'm sure, because we know that having too many pitchers has a way of working itself out. Yeah, although this is a unique one because it's not, you know, it's like, oh, they have too many people fighting for the big leagues. They got too many people fighting for all of their minor league positions, too. So just how they assign them at the beginning is like, this would be the first spring training ever where, like, we don't mind if people get hurt in spring training. Just a little bit hurt. Not like super hurt. Yeah, just, you know, like needs a couple of weeks on the on the IL kind of thing. Just to just to ease back. <laughs> Thomas Hatch, another guy in the AAA, like just too many. <laughs> Oh man, that's probably going to come back to bite us, but that's okay. It, it's it's uh, we did not maneuver the team into this position. Um, is there anything other uh, aspect of that that roster construction we want to talk about? Because that was basically all pitching. Well, 
I mean, so the, we've sort of touched on this before. Uh, so the Cardinals have this sort of semi-famous problem where they have pretty good players at every position. So upgrading actually becomes really hard for them because they can't justify the cost of getting just a little bit better. The Jays are like the really poor man's version of that. (laughs) (laughs) Where they've got potential decent major leaguers at every position. And it kind of has kept them back from making moves. And Ross Atkins has even said this out loud. It's like, unless they can get like real big upgrades, they're not going to do it. So it's kind of in this weird holding pattern when they've got, again, too many outfielders because one of them might stick and too many infielders because one of them might stick. So I don't know. It's kind of odd. I think you need to to cut bait before the end of spring training on two or three of these guys. You really well, I mean, do. Alfred's out of options, so he he has to show now. Yeah. But I, I think it's more, obviously, just like you said, there's too many guys. It's got to be a couple of guys where it's like, well, it's just not going to happen here. And we're moving on with, and, and hopefully that gives a confidence boost to the guy you do pick. But I think it is a real crapshoot. And the Jays are, are going to look stupid at least once with some guy who, who goes away. Yeah. Especially if he goes to the Yankees. Dear Rochelle, huh? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, we probably shouldn't have said that name. All right. So the, 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 the Jays did have a minor league signing. Joe Panic, who, if you were uh, put into a coma in, I think it was 2015, uh, you would think was a big signing for them. <laughs> but it's just minor league depth at second base. Maybe. I mean, isn't this the same problem we were just talking about? And and Joe Panic has been like decidedly like not very good for the last couple of years. I mean, the only thing he does that would be kind of like a a nice breath of fresh air to Jays fans is he doesn't strike out very much. But aside from that, I mean, he's not a great hitter. He doesn't have much power. Uh, you know, defensively, he's he's all right. But I would just be very surprised if we see him on the major league team or even at triple a buffalo come the end of march yeah i mean i don't i think the odds of him sticking in buffalo well actually i would have said that they're bad but we you know we saw we've seen it happen where guys stick around a bit longer so i i'm not 100 percent sure what's going to happen in that sense but you know like the thing with panic is that he has been good and he's not old right but the last yeah, time he was true. good, only twenty nine. The last yeah, time he was only twenty nine. League average, even at with the bat, was in twenty seventeen. Which again, well, I mean, that's not too long ago. That's, but I mean, he he did well again once he went to the mats and got out of that giant the park that's death on lefties. I know that, you know, like OPS plus and WRC plus take park into account, but it, I don't know if they actually take batted ball profiles into account and whether certain parks are worse for certain hitters than they are for other hitters. But. Either way, I mean, I, I could see a situation where they're like, you know what? Brandon Drury's just not good anymore. We're going to give Joe Panic a shot. I, I could see something like that happening. But in, in general, I would say that it's more likely that he's just doesn't stick around and does, as opposed to going to the minors like Eric Sogar did last year. Right. Yeah, my I think the best incarnation of Joe Panic at this kind of juncture in his career is he's you know, another two-win player. And the Jays just seem to be, like, splitting that two-win player at him into as many pieces as possible. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I think he is a little better than I, I wanted to give him credit for. I just, you see those guys 
you know, in spades right now on, on the Jays 40 man. And that's kind of, kind of the problem. All we have to do is figure out how to play a 200-game season to stack up the wins <laughs> while everybody plays 162. Because yeah. we got extra players. we got time. <laughs> yeah. Still, no, we just need to, like we said, pull out that rover position. Yeah. Because, why? I mean, Rob Manfred would probably, if you if you pitched it to him on the right day, he'd probably say sure. <laughs> uh, Brock Holt. Does Brock Holt fall into this same category? Is he, or is he a tier above all of these other infield names we've been bouncing around i mean nick you can go first but i have my own thoughts but. yeah i mean i kind of i kind of think he does um yeah i i, I kind of think he does he's yeah at best kind of a two-win player and and one that doesn't kind of fill a a positional need for the jays in any kind of like meaningful way in my opinion yeah, so I, I think he he's a bit better than that because he can play everywhere as opposed to like Joe Panic has only played second and first. Brandon Drury has only can can play third and kind of play the corner outfielders, but not really. So like if you're going to get if you really want to upgrade the backup position so you can give guys rest wherever, I think that Brock Holt would be better than all of the ones that they currently got on the roster. Whether that's a big upgrade, I no, not really, but I think it is an actual clear upgrade. Fair enough. We shall move on to the exciting world of prospects. Uh, I've been so used to having names right up at the top of the list. One big <laughs> name, and then and then the Bo Bichette, you know, backing up. Those guys have graduated. Congratulations to them. I hope they wore their square caps. Uh, when we graduate, we have a system that is uh, obviously weaker. How much weaker do you think it is, Nick? given the uh, the names that are now showing up and, and where they are showing up. And I will, sorry, I'll elaborate. Nate Pearson, Jordan Groshans, Simeon Woods-Richardson, and Alex Manoa are the only four names to appear on in total on the, the Baseball America, MLB, and Baseball Prospectus Top 100s list. Right. Am I wrong, though, in saying that when Vlad and Bo were kind of boying the Jays system, it wasn't that they had a ton of prospects in the middle or the back of the top hundred it was just that their system was being kind of like pulled up by that upper tier talent at the top like is this even a downgrade in terms of the amount of people on the top hundred prospects list um no i would say it's not uh but i think that there was you know that there there were more guys that were danny jansen i alfred was you know what back in like 2016 well i'm just talking about last year like when you were yeah. talking about where the jays were as a as a farm system their farm was ranked all the way up near the top right yeah and that was obviously as you mentioned pulled up by the three players you just named Bo Vladdy, especially and jansen but they did have a bunch of pretty interesting guys I mean, if you look at so Baseball America put out their list. They had they were the highest on the on the Jays' top guys. They had Pearson at seven. They had Groshans at twenty nine, and Simeon Woods Richardson at sixty one, which is the highest he appeared for sure. But they also had a bunch of other Blue Jays players in there that got votes among their staff for the top one fifty. You know, and obviously. There's not a huge difference between the 90th and 80th overall prospect and the 150th overall prospect. There's, you know, it's kind of a big grouping of players. So 
Alejandro Kirk got votes, Alec Pinoa got votes, Aurelvis Martinez got votes, Gabriel Moreno, Miguel Geraldo, all of them got votes for maybe being a top 150 guy. So I think that that shows that there's good depth. And, and that last group of players was all younger and could easily take steps forward and move up the list in the coming season. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that's, I know I've mentioned this before, but one thing that's kind of like interesting to me is in Cleveland, Atkins and Shapiro had like a really strong track record of taking these pitchers that were not top draft picks or, you know, kind of uh, coveted Latin American signings and turning them into very good major league pitchers. Um, and it seems like that might be kind of what's happening, hopefully in Toronto, um, at least with, you know, some of the guys who are on the, the fringes of that top hundred list, like, you know, with maybe the right development program, we are looking at guys that can come up and make an impact similar to, you know, guys like Aaron Savali or Shane Bieber, guys like that. Yeah. I don't know how much credit I'd give to the GM Shapiro for that, but certainly the people in his development staff, which include Atkins. But anyway, so I think that the system, especially again, depending on who you ask, that's just baseball America that had all those guys ranked, but yeah, even BP, you know, they. I'm going to put, go down to their 10th ranked prospect, and they gave him a you know a future grade of 50, which is a you know a solid major league player, and that's number 10. So, you know, like that's pretty good. And the Jays still have a top 10 prospect. I would say it's not entirely consensus because Nate Pearson's down at 19 on the BP list, but I mean he's a top 10 prospect on most other lists. So there still is. Kind of- a pretty high-end guy uh, in in the system that I think bodes well for for the Jays. Yeah, well, absolutely. I think um, I, I think having a guy in the top ten is uh, indicative that there there's still something there. Um, I don't think you're going to be expected to have the number one prospect in baseball year after year unless you've had the number one draft pick year after year, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah. And, is, and I, I didn't, well, that's actually a good thing to worth mentioning, though. The Jays picked fifth this year, I think. So they're going to add to that with someone legit. And then they have the next pick, I think, is 38 or something like that because of the stupid comp picks and whatever. But so, I mean, they have two high picks and bonus pool money to play around with it. So I think this goes like, back to what we were saying before, like with these roster things, though, like they should be looking at trades. I mean, the evidence suggests that they are. Like if they checked in on Lindor and, you know, more, maybe they did more than just check in and they trying to move some of this extreme depth for high end as opposed to just depth. Yeah, the, the, the Blue Jays need, need to trade for quality over quantity at this point. The question is, who are they going to find on the other end of that trade? And that's a difficult bit, I think, for us to imagine when we're not inside the room. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard. I mean, fans putting together trades are pretty much universally bad. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's like, which guys do we do I think are, you know, maybe the other people think are pretty good, but I don't think are that good. That's who we should trade. It's like, no, the other guys probably also think that guy's pretty bad. So. Yeah. <laughs> There's just a bit of a consensus here. So, yeah, then it becomes more about need um, as opposed to actual overall talent level, right? Maybe a guy does need to uh, fill out a minor league roster with a couple extra guys, or uh, maybe he's he's trying to offload some money, right? Depending on what the other GM's doing. And and again, I don't think we always have enough information, like you said. But we're as fans, we're not dealing with the that whole 
range of aspects of it. We're just looking at names on paper and playing fantasy baseball and going, maybe I can get uh, Jed to trade with me because he's, uh, <laughs> you know, he needs saves. And <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> that ain't how it works. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's like the Jays, have, you know, they tried to get Lindor. That's what they should be doing. I'm sure they checked on Chris Bryant and Nolan Arenado and like all of these names that are coming up on the rumor list. I'm sure the Jays are like, hey, you know, can we make something work? And the answer was probably no, we can't because we don't want what you're trying to give us because we're trying to do X. And that's just how it works. So, yeah, like you said, it's easy for us to say they should do it, but at least the evidence is they're trying to do it. Yeah. And like one thing I wanted to mention, and it's kind of ties our last two conversations together, but it's interesting in terms of, uh, trading and this like kind of like problem of depth and the the roster being kind of overcrowded is it seems like there's a bunch of teams in the Jays position where they've kind of accumulated this depth in some cases via trades like there's been trades this offseason where I've kind of been left scratching my head is like why did the Rays trade for Hunter Renfro you know why are why are the Reds signing you know Nick Castellanos when they have these other outfielders it's it, it or like why the Nationals have 9,000 major league quality infielders. Yeah, exactly. It it's not a it's not exclusively a Blue Jays problem. So I think if I think part of the reason maybe it is hard to get deals done is there's probably four or five teams that can offer comparable packages or whatever to to something the Jays are going to put together too. There's a tweet. You know, who from... do you want more? There's a tweet from about three years ago that's, and I can't remember which analyst it's from. It says, "I I love this trade for the Rays. Uh, what a, what a crazy move that they, you know, ingenious move that they made. Uh, who did they give mm-hmm. up and who did they get?" Yeah, I think that was Sam Miller who did that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that's where we're at, right? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I would actually expect, though, some kind of movement through spring training just because, I mean, we still have a move that has to come. They have to make a move to add Dolly to the roster. <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. And then, like we said, Alfred's out of options. So we'll see what they do. There's always, like, some kind of maneuvering in spring training. And sometimes guys step up and earn a spot. And then you got to make another move. So we'll see. All right. While we hold our breath, waiting to see what this shoe is going to drop on the 40 man, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with your questions and a do over. Everybody's favorite. We'll be right back. We have returned and there is nothing that I like to do more when we come back from that little break than to play this stinger with your questions. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? A little behind the scenes there. Occasionally, the way my computer's set up, uh, my compatriots cannot hear the stinger and they have to wait for me to talk again to see that it's over. But in this case, I believe they actually heard it. Is that true? Yeah, did awesome. I was tempted to mess with you and pretend that I didn't, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, we're doing this we're recording for other people. It's not just for us. So, all right, Luke at Split Letters has our first question, which is outside of Vlad, who, which is like it's a given, who is going to show up to camp in the best shape of their life? <laughs> Nick, who do you have money on? Ooh, um, I'm trying to think of some of the pitchers that were little 
thicker last year. <laughs> I was imagine uh, you were gonna go with. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 a good question. With the, I feel like the the high performance department's got them all. Oh wait, it's one of the the husky first basemen. So it's maybe rowdy. maybe it's rowdy. Yeah, rowdy. someone like that. Yeah, it's got to be rowdy. Mm-hmm. We've already uh, we've already heard hints of it. Like he's you know, he's already shedding some weight, trying to get in that first base position. So that's definitely going to be the story guy. Yeah. I feel like Hyunjin Ryu is going to show up in the best shape of his life for his new team. I think that's going to oh, happen. Oh, no way. He's already got his contract. He's, he's going to show up in worse shape. <laughs> Doesn't have to worry about that crap. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Minor leaguer. This, by the way, I've been waiting the entire podcast to get to these questions. Minor leaguer, <laughs> after an article at Bluebird, Ban- Bluebird Banter, which highlighted all of the pitchers to wear single-digit uniform numbers, Josh... Um, minor leaguer asks, do you believe pitchers should have the freedom to choose whatever they want? Or do you believe that allowing to pitchers to wear a single digit number is a slippery slope that will lead to chaos and the downfall of the society that our troops have fought so hard for? And before we even answer that, he has a follow-up question, which is (laughs) where do you draw the line? Fractions, negatives, irrationals? But which, by the way, there is no rule against a fraction as a number in the Major League Baseball rulebook. Josh, I think is there to be is fair, there not actually they didn't change that after the Eddie Gaddell nonsense where he wore one eighth. I'm gonna have to look <laughs> it up, but I, I I seem to remember something a couple of years ago that someone was trying to pick a zero or something, and it was like, oh, there's no rule against that. You can put anything you want on the back there as long as it's a number. Okay, so for reference. <laughs> This question was posed because I do not like the choice of single-digit numbers. So I don't even uh, know why you don't like that. I'll be—that's my. It's just, I don't. I, it's just a thing. It's just historically, pitchers don't wear single-digit numbers. I don't know. It's like I'm stuck in football mode where the wide receiver wears numbers in the '80s. But uh, it's just—it's just a thing. And you know, like for example, when Bluebird Banner put this article out, my I quote tweeted said it was a list of position players pitching and heathens. that's who it was so now i think they should have the freedom to do it i should just have the freedom to mock it it's you know freedom of expression doesn't take freedom from mocking for your stupid decisions Uh, but what inherently (laughs) makes i don't i just so okay uh look it's it's clearly like a semi-joke thing i like i think it's it's weird I think because pitchers don't traditionally do it. That's what it is. I don't actually care if a pitcher wears a single-digit number. And if a pitcher came out there with, like, Route 3 on his jersey, that would be really funny. <laughs> Route 3. Uh, yeah. So, okay. Uh, do you have the same mental uh, block about those those number assignments on pitchers, uh, Nick? Uh, I don't have a block, but when Josh was talking about it, I was trying to, like, rack my brain. And... There is something like I think aesthetically pleasing about having pitchers wear double digit numbers. That said, you know, um, I'm all for whatever. Anything that could make it a little more fun or interesting, go for it. So, yeah, yeah like, like Shun Yamaguchi wants to wear number one, right? Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. Like, he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> and, like, if that's what makes him happy, go for it. I just don't like it. I don't like the look of it, and I think it's weird. But it's not – it doesn't matter what I think. Okay. Now, there's a couple of other follow-up questions I have for you. Um, should an outfielder wear a number in the 20s, generally? Is that – No. Does that feel better? No, outfielders can wear whatever they want. 
So if a guy came out number 82, you'd be like, good to go, man. Okay. That, <laughs> when, you're wearing num- okay now, that, when you're wearing numbers up like that, it's like you're the guy in spring training that called, got called up and they didn't have a jersey for you. So if you're going to go with that number, there's probably got to be a reason for it. Uh, yeah, there was someone who wore a 96 because he came from the town of 96 in Texas or whatever. That was, and here's the and here's the thing with jerseys, right? Uh, now, my expectation, I think this is correct. Most guys, the reason they wear a jersey number is because that's what they wore when they were younger. And you know, when you're on younger teams, there is no jersey number eighty-seven. Like that's not a thing. <laughs> Actually, I have a good story about this. One year, um, I like went through my growth spurt, and so when we were going to get jerseys, none of the jerseys, like the regular number jerseys, fit me. So I had to wear like one of the coaches' jerseys, which was in the the eighties. So I think I was like eighty-three that year. Or something. There you go. So my, you my one year with eighty-three, and it'd be like, yeah. So the number I wore as a kid, and it just has meaning for me. And we're like, all right. Well, you you can be one of one of the scrubs over there. <laughs> but you know, like outfielders like Teoscar Hernandez were thirty seven. Speedy guys were like number one or number two. Like there, there's more room for them. Well, infielders are supposed to wear the low numbers, and uh, outfielders are supposed to because of like Mays, Bonds, um, uh, the gentleman who died in the plane crash, whose name just disappeared on me. Roberto Clemente. Clemente's twenty one, right? Yeah, okay. I mean, there so you are get, lots of them that are like this, but but but, but think, those those get guys are trying to emulate the guy who they idolized, right? So that, I think that's what happens with a lot of a lot of the really popular numbers like 24. Um or a guys one number off, 25. Um yeah. Now, well, Mickey Mantle wore number 7. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm curious to see if there's a change like I I could be wrong cuz I don't follow hockey as closely, but I think kind of they used to have lower digit numbers and then over the last you know 15 years or so a lot of players have started wearing higher digit numbers like i don't remember a lot of players other than you know so gretzky i'm not gonna go at great length about hockey numbers here because i only know a little bit and josh hates it when i talk about hockey in this podcast but (laughs) bobby orr was number nine in his honor wayne gretzky wore 99 in Wayne Gretzky's honor, Mario Lemieux flipped it over and wore 66. So all of those are permutations of the same idea, right? That's why the number got bigger. Not because he wanted to wear a high number, but because he was trying to... It's, it's all t- Everything comes from Bobby Orr. And... Well, the guys I'm thinking of are like Crosby and Stamkos and Tavares. And they Crosby seem to be doing it. of his birthday. Yeah, exactly. I think that's Stamkos too. Um, so I'm curious... Well, I guess double zero might be a number if baseball players start doing that. I just alluded to our point. next question. This one comes from L at Ellie Ellie Hart. Given that it's a double digit number, will you endorse a pitcher wearing double zero? No, <laughs> you guys can answer. <laughs> just no. Um, double, I digit, feel... double zero is not a double digit number, by the way. It's just it's a just single zero. digit number twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's I, like, you know, you, otherwise you go there with like zero six. Like, it's the same thing. <laughs> Ooh. Now, now we're talking about numbers I'd like to see a pitcher wear. Uh, I, I endorse a pitcher wearing double zero a hundred percent because that's what I'd like his ERA to be. And if he can aspire to that with, on his back, with that on his back, I'm good. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know why a hitter would ever want to wear a, a zero or anything with a zero in it just as a mental thing i would think that would be what you want as a pitcher well adam Ottavino wears zero 
That's right. But the Blue Jays DH in in '85 wore double zero. I'm not having a good day with names, but that stood out to me. And uh, Nick, do you have an opinion on double zero as a number? No, no, not really. No, you're gonna just you have zero opinion on it. Curtis Butcher double zero at Curtis Butcher one (laughs) uh, says uh, he touched on the um, Brock Holt rumor. Is is there a specific guy who basically drops off the depth chart because of a Brock Holt signing, or is it is it that soup that we were talking about earlier? Well, I think we we definitely address it. My thing is Brandon Drury, right? Like it, Brandon Drury's role here is as the utility guy who can play a bunch of positions, fill in at short if need be. And if Brock Holt gets signed, Brandon Drury goes. All right, you don't need both. So we are about to have uh, the baseball version of the. Uh, Hundred horse size, uh, the horse size duck or a hundred duck sized horses. So I think that's it. Uh, suppose you had three teams who, as a whole, had the same wins above replacement. What well, one got it mainly from offense, one from defense, and one from pitching? Who wins more games in a one hundred sixty-two game season? Before Josh's rant about FIP, I'm going to ask Nick what he thinks. <laughs> <laughs> See, my initial instinct was to say defense because it's the most consistent over the 162 games but at the same time it feels like defense is kind of like the least tangible element of war in in the sense that you know you're never whenever you see a player that's accumulated a lot of war mostly via defense i think people are most hesitant to see them as that valuable and i think that's partially a problem with defensive statistics and two partially um partially a problem that I think defense is easier to replace. I mean, you can, I think you can run a, run a net through triple a and grab a bunch of great defensive shortstops who can't, you know, hit worth a lick. So I'm kind of conflicted. I'm just going to say offense, (laughs) but I feel like it should be, I feel like it should be defense, but something tells me it's not. So so here's, here's the important qualifier. What version of war is this? Yeah. If it's baseball reference war, give me the pitchers. That just runs aloud. If the pitchers are dominating in war, it means they're throwing a lot of innings and not giving up runs. That means you're probably <laughs> winning more games. If it's Fangraph's war, I don't want the pitchers at all because the defense matters. If it's Fangraph's war, I think it's pitching. If it's baseball or defense, rather, if it's baseball reference war, it's it's the pitching. And we won't even that's talk my, about baseball perspective. Uh, warp. Win, warp. <laughs> That one, it's like they're all the same, you know? <laughs> so I don't know the answer in that one. It's probably hitting. <laughs> I think we uh, don't have enough information for this question because, okay, the question is, number one, how much, how many wins above replacement they have? I mean, is this an average team? Is it supposed to be an above average team? Uh, second of all, how hard would it be to get a, uh, like a 100-win team with mainly defense? Also, mainly what does mainly mean? Does it mean more than 33%, more than 40%, more than 50%? Given all that, I have no idea what any of those are. I feel like wins above replacement has been, in small sample sizes, or smaller sample sizes, more accurate when it comes to offense for individual players. So I'm going to say the offense, because I think the other two, especially the defensive metrics, are too much of a crapshoot to be reliable uh, with individual players on a, on a roster. One thing I'll say about that, just the idea about the defensive stats, assuming you trust the defensive stat. I don't. <laughs> well, no, no, but that's assuming one thing too. Do. But like, yeah. 
but it, like the reason that people don't trust like war rankings as predictive is because defense isn't sticky. Like it, it changes from year to year, especially it needs multiple years for them to stabilize. But in terms of one year, if you think the stat does actually capture what happened, then it's still reliable. Now, again, it matters. If you don't think that, then it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, you uh, folks at home can draft your own team based on uh, whichever one you'd like. That, you know, that actually feels like something that a uh, uh, a sim would uh, do a wonderful job of trying to crank something out after 10,000 seasons of a primarily defensive win team. Um, takes a crack at it. Last question. Brian Donnelly at Brian Donnelly 8. Is there anyone on the free agent market, specifically free agent market, you'd rather see in center field over Teoscar Hernandez? Nick? Uh, no. I, I tweeted this out uh, a few weeks ago, but Teoscar Hernandez had the same amount of war, Fangraphs war as Yasiel Puig, and I think something like 150 or 100 fewer at-bats last year. Um, so I think at, at this point in time, Castellanos was probably the last interesting piece to to go off the market that i thought would have maybe helped in toronto josh yeah i mean i'd rather just see gritchuk play center field than teoscar and play right <laughs> i think that that's a much better defensive alignment i think they're both better in those positions than the other ones like gritchuk's better in center than he is in right for some reason that's not very common but he is and then reverse applies for hernandez so just do that but in terms of free agent no they're not better than hernandez the free agent center fielders are terrible all right, that concludes the questions portion, which means we are about to move on to the do-over. Oh my God, did he really just say that? Well, we can try again, right? You talking about a do-over, baby? Are you talking about a do-over? We believe in second chances. Ah, yes. Um, the Colorado Rockies have notably never won a World Series. The owner of the Colorado Rockies is Dick Monfort. And I have a quote from Dick Monfort, which says, In 08, with basically the exact same team as 07, we won 74 games and lost 88, Monfort said. But like a great American hero, Forrest Gump once said, stuff <clears throat> happens. And that's what happened in 08, because in 08, we won 92 and lost 70. Most people I talked to that were on those teams say the 09 team was our greatest team. I interpolated 07, 08, and 09... I had an analytical staff go through and interpolate those numbers. And so in 2020, we'll win 94 games and lose 68. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't wow that that emphatically very often, but wow. Um, where does one start interpolating, Josh? I don't even know. Like, I, don't even, I can't even try to start making sense of this. Like, yes, you had a good team in 07 and then a team in 08 that dealt with some injuries and just didn't win. And then your players got better and you won again. I mean, that, that is what happened to the 2008 Rockies. <laughs> you know, like Tulo played 101 games, which, you know, you know, for too low at the end of his career, that'd be like, oh, 101 games. But, <laughs> <laughs> but back then, it wasn't. Todd Helton played 83 games. You know, it's like, yeah, they had a bad season. That's not what happened last year. Their team was just bad. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, they could get better for sure because, you know, like Herman Marquez could be a bit better. And that's the only example I can think of because <laughs> they, they didn't get better players and they. 
they just aren't a good team. So, Nick, I want you to imagine the phrasing, and and tell me if you can come up with something. The phrasing that when uh, Rockies owner Dick Monfort walks into his analytics department offices, um, that he, what does he say in order <laughs> in order to get his analytics staff to crunch numbers to tell him that they're going to win ninety four games and lose sixty eight? Because he said he did not do this math himself. What what phrasing do you use to get this to happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh I think that analytics staff might be pulling a few uh over over his eyes here on things like that. Like there's probably some yeah, there's probably some interesting stuff going on in that analytics department. Um like Dick, what numbers do I, you want us to come up with? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he walks in. It has to be. So guys, like 10 years ago in <laughs> in <laughs> Oh seven! I remember we had like a pretty good team, and then we had like a not good team in oh eight. And do you think we were good in oh nine? Like, can you see? Can you feel the fear from the guy who that <laughs> that's coming out? He's like, "Yeah, Dick. Yeah, I remember oh nine totally. I, you know, I was in college, <laughs> but sure." And then he's like, "Could you tell me?" See, this is where I don't know how the conversation goes from there. Like, give me those numbers for next year. Yes, sir, boss. No problem. Well, yeah, it's basically you going in saying, all right, so you look at these three seasons. You saw what happened. Now, assuming the same thing happens again <laughs> at the same rates, where will our team be? That's basically what he did. Oh, I, yeah, I don't want to be that guy who brought that report out because when they don't win 94 games and lose 68 this year, um, I feel like Dick's going to hold him personally responsible. Yeah. The but math man, was there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, here's the thing about the, about the Rockies, right? There's some areas where you could see some improvement because, you know, like the Kyle Friedland went from an ERA below three with metrics that suggest it should be probably in the upper threes to an ERA in the sixes. And Herman Marquez went up a run. So, like, there are places where they could get better. But they won 71 games in a division that is really getting a lot better without them. <laughs> I would be shocked if the Rockies won 80 games. Shocked. I think the do-over here is uh, if you are going as the owner to talk about what a team is going to do, you you could talk about whether the team is going to hit better in a given year. You could talk about the team, whether they're going to pitch better or worse. You're going to talk about whether they're going to be injured more or less. But you should never, ever, ever talk about how many games a team is going to win because you're going to look stupid sooner rather than later. Every time. Yeah, but, I mean, but you could also say, though, it's like, you know, like we won this, we made these moves. We think we could improve by 10 games or so. Like, they got kind of, like the Jays have said that. Sure. Right, that kind of thing is fine, but even if like even if the number would get you to ninety four, it's like we think we've had enough that we could probably get into the mid nineties and wins. You could say that if there was a reason, not just I just went to the data from ten years ago and looked these outlier seasons and then applied it. Like it doesn't make any sense. Uh, math is, as we know around here, hard. Um, I occasionally have to uh, have to fix the episode number that I'm quoting, so I'm not going to be you know all in on it, but. There are a lot better ways to express we think we've made our team better, Bob, um, than what Dick did. 
and someone <laughs> has to get out in front of him and make sure he doesn't say that to the public. Well, here's the problem. No one can get in front of him because he's the owner. And he can't say, here's what we did, because they haven't done anything. They haven't gotten any players. So the only way you can try to sell Hope is by this garbage. All right. Uh, Hope is purple. And we're going to leave it at that. (laughs) I like that. It is time for a final thought from you, gentlemen. So, uh, Nick, uh, I won't put you on the spot. I will put Josh on the spot. What do you have for your final thought? So my final thought is... I don't really know why the Red Sox are trading Mookie Betts. I mean, like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> 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 you should have put me on this. <laughs> no, no, no. But if you're the Blue Jays and you're looking at this, you're probably thinking like, we got a lot of shots at a lot more wins this year. The Red Sox are potentially trading their best player for no matter what they get. They will not be as good this year as they were last year. Like roster wise, they you know they have guys that could play better, and then they and then they might be about to get smacked down by MLB, which people seem to not really be remembering. the The Red Sox are being under investigation right now for their own sign stealing stuff from 2018. So I think we could be seeing an interesting step back from the Red Sox, which would be really nice as the Jays try to take those next step forward. Indeed. Now, just before that, though, if they don't trade Mookie Betts, the Red Sox should win 90-plus games, so it's really (laughs) weird. Go ahead. Uh, Nick, what is your totally not Mookie Betts-related thought uh, that you had on the spot there? (laughs) Yeah. So basically what what I was thinking is I never thought – I think if you told me five years ago that – five years from now, the Red Sox are going to trade their best player (laughs) – they're not going to get anything back that's comparable and you're going to be disappointed about it. I would have been like, what are you talking about? They just hired Dave Dombrowski. This makes total sense, but, or this doesn't make any sense. Sorry. <laughs> but just the, the fact that a team as big as Boston is doing this is just so, it, I mean, we've talked, I'm sure infinitely about the problems with major league baseball right now and, and all that stuff. But the fact that a team like Boston is willing to trade Mookie Betts is just kind of crazy to me. And it's good for the Jays, but it's disappointing for, you know, a sport I like to follow more in general. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's good and bad at the same time. And I, and I think at this point in time, I, I think the I think the bad outweighs the good, even as a Jays fan. I hope they trade him to the Padres, though, because then the Jays can try and sign him next year. If he goes to the yeah. Dodgers, they'll just sign him, and that won't be any good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Thinking ahead, yeah. Josh. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to do a massive left-hand turn for my final thought. Uh, the spring training caps, new redesign was released uh, for this year, and for the first time in about at least since 2015, so five years, there is a Blue Jay on the front of the Blue Jays cap for spring training. What I find funny about this, have you, have you guys seen the design? Yes. Does it not look like the Blue Jay is trying to sneak back onto the front of the cap? Like someone didn't tell him where spring training was for five years? <laughs> and he's this like, is the batting <laughs> practice has, by the way. Yeah, but it's like, hey, is this, is this really where we're playing? Is this the party? Can I come back? Um, that is an odd decision. First of all, it's been an odd decision for me to not have it on the front of the cap for so long, but especially odd that it's just sort of the beak and the eyeball kind of like squeezing into the maple leaf there. It is kind of funny. 
Like, it really is. It's like half of the bird is cut off, just like it's peeking behind, peeking in front of the in front of the leaf. Yeah, who let that guy in here? That should be the name of the <laughs> the new spring training logo. Oh, so yeah, go check that out, folks. Sportslogos.net, of course, has it, as does you know Major League Baseball always. Uh, that said, this has been episode number one hundred and sixty-five of Artificial Turf Wars. I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010, and you guys have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem and Nick Dyka at Nick Dyka. Thank you so much for joining me, and thank you so much for listening. We will talk at you in a couple of weeks.